0: Let's go ahead and get right into our study tonight. We're in Hebrews chapter 1. On Wednesday nights, we're going uh, through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we are starting the book of Hebrews tonight. Hebrews chapter 1. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and specifically who you are revealed in the book of Hebrews. And we thank you that you're greater than the angels, that you're greater than Moses and the law. So many times in our lives, we get distracted and focused on other things. And Jesus, we recognize your greatness, your goodness, and our need for you afresh tonight. God, I thank you for each person that's made the effort to to be here on this Wednesday night. pray you'd bless them, that you'd encourage them, and that you would give us a greater knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme of the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of Christ, that he is greater than, that he is superior. And I think it's a great theme for us to be able to focus on because a lot of times we get off focus from Jesus Christ. I think in our own lives and then also even as we're talking to non-believers and believers alike, we tend to want to give really good financial counsel uh, to people, maybe to, to other believers. But As good as that is, is that what they really need is financial counsel? Or we teach in marriage good skills for communication. But is that the ultimate need inside of a marriage is communication? For our young people, we teach them the importance of character and morality. But at the end of the discussion, is that what really, really matters? No, what matters is Christ and understanding who Jesus is. And then as the gospel penetrates every area of our life, hopefully that affects Our finances. Hopefully it affects our marriages. Hopefully it affects the lives of our our children. And the original readers of this epistle, of this short letter, were getting sidetracked. They were getting focused on angels. They were getting focused on the law. They were getting focused on Moses. And in the midst of that, there was a diminishing of the greatness of Jesus Christ. So it's kind of this attitude of, well, that's wonderful that you know Jesus, but now you need to go back under the law. Or that's wonderful that you know Christ is your savior, but now you really need to focus on on angels. Or the real great one was Moses. And I think a lot of times we would want to give ourselves a pass on this and go, for sure Christ has greatest emphasis in my life and he has the greatest authority. Do you know how packed this place would be tonight if we said 100% come to Rocky Mountain Calvary Wednesday night at 6:30 because there's going to be an angel in the sanctuary. And you get to have a conversation with with an angel and really see an angel first up foremost full-fledged angel. We put that out on social media, contacted the news, you know, there would be no parking, right? But we say we're going to have a Bible study about who Jesus is revealed in the book of Hebrews and we go you know, I, I know who Jesus is. I understand who, who Jesus is. Or maybe there's a, a great book by a great Christian author, and we get so excited about their writings or their speaking or their podcasts. And Nothing wrong with that, but make sure that Christ is supreme. Make sure that Christ is the emphasis, and he's the one that we're worshiping. So let's do a little bit of background on this book before we start tonight. First is, who's the human author of the epistle of Hebrews? We don't know. It doesn't say. When you look at Hebrews closely, and a lot of these letters in the New Testament, right away, we have an introduction by who God is using to write the letter. We don't have that in the book of Hebrews. So there's a lot of speculation from Paul to Timothy to Barnabas to Apollos, but ultimately, we don't know. Where the Bible is silent, Where we must be silent as well. Who's the original readers? You also notice we don't know. It, it doesn't tell us who the letter is written to. Why is that not included for us? I think one of the reasons is because of the theme of the book of Hebrews is God wants us focusing on Christ. So we're not Losing sleep or getting sidetracked by who the human author is or the first people to receive this. We do know that it is Jews, primarily Jewish believers, that are receiving this this first letter. And thus the title Hebrews. Because it's written to primarily Jews who knew Christ as their Savior. The date in which it was written is probably before the destruction of the temple, which is AD 70. In the Greek, we know the tense of of the Greek that's used indicates that there were sacrifices being made in the temple. So that would put it before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. This is a book of evaluation, and I really like this. The word better is used 13 times in this book. So what God is doing is he's showing us the greatness of Jesus Christ by contrast. And isn't that how we see the value in things so many times? by looking at the New England Patriots in contrast to the Cleveland Browns. The greatness of the Patriots is seen by the Cleveland Browns or the San Francisco 49ers this year, right? So you can also see the value of a cup of coffee by Folgers, a really bad cup of coffee, next to a really good cup of coffee. Now, if if you love Folgers, it might have great value to you and But that's a matter of opinion, isn't it? So there's a a really good burger, and then there's a McDonald's burger. Let's just be honest, right? So you get this by contrast. You understand value by contrast. It's one of the best ways to be able to to learn. So, So God's showing us the value of Jesus Christ by contrasting him, and he's saying, this is better. This is perfect and shows us the the value of Christ. Also, it's a book of exhortation. There's five warnings in the book of Hebrews, and each is very practical and very important for us to stop and consider. Next week in chapter two, verse one, we'll get to the first warning. If you're an outliner, you like to outline, first six chapters is a superior person, which is Christ. A superior person, which is Christ. And then a superior priesthood, which is Jesus over Melchizedek, which is chapters 7 through 10. So, a superior person in the first six chapters, a superior priesthood from chapter 7 to chapter 10, and then from chapter 11 to chapter 13 is a superior principle, which is faith, that the just shall live by faith. So, let's begin in verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke. I want you to think about for a few minutes God's ability, ability to communicate. And one of his attributes is love. God is love. It's who, who he is. It's expressed in his communication. What if you claim to love someone, but you never communicated to them? So, so God, in various times... Throughout different seasons, he spoke in various ways. So thinking through history past, what are some ways and times in which God spoke? First, by creation. He declares a lot about himself and a lot about us simply in creation. He spoke through creation. He's also spoke through our conscience giving to us a reality of what's right and wrong with a conscience that's placed inside of us. All people groups throughout the world have a conscience. Cultures have a conscience. There's a right and a wrong, murder and rape. It's, it's wrong. Where do we get that? God has placed that inside of us. But it also says in times past, he spoke by the prophets. God loved his people enough that he sent the prophets to them To give them the message of God. We think of Moses bringing the law. Bringing the first five books of the Old Testament. That's because God loved the children of Israel. That God loved all of humanity. Ezekiel had to cut his hair. The prophet Ezekiel. Burn it. And then lie on his side for a thousand days. That's a very obscure way for God to communicate. And get the attention of the children of Israel. You've got to cut your hair. And then lay on... One side for a thousand days. But Isaiah probably had an even more difficult assignment. You can look this up for yourself. But Isaiah was instructed by God to preach naked for three years straight. That's brutal, right? It's like nobody was signing up to be a a pastor during that time. (laughs) This was one of the ways in which God was getting the attention of the children of Israel. We see Zechariah and Daniel. They have these amazing dreams and visions. Why did God give these dreams and visions to these men? To get the attention of the children of Israel. You could almost say with certainty that God has used everything possible to communicate his message to us. Would you agree with that? that that's as much as he wants to have a relationship with us. In verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So this is the chief of God's communication. This is the greatness of his communication is in Jesus Christ. So all of the communication prior to Jesus was leading up to Christ. And now that Christ is here, he's saying, he is the brightness of my glory and the express image of my person. So if you want to know God's message, if you want to know who God is, you look at the person of Jesus Christ. In these days, in these last days, the author of Hebrews expresses that God has spoken to us by his son. Just by the mere fact that we live on this side of the cross, that Christ has already come, died and rose again, it puts us in the last days category. It says here, he says, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. We get a great description of the greatness of Christ in the next few verses. Whom he has anointed heir of all things. So, if you're taking notes about who Jesus is, he's the inheritor. He is the inheritor of all things. All things are appointed for him. All things exist for Christ. And that's really important to know for us to understand why am I here? What's my purpose? Here I am trucking along, it's the end of March. 2017 we exist for God's glory. We exist for Christ. That's why we're created to be able to have a relationship with him. We leave that out even as believers don't we? You know we go well I'm created for all of these other purposes. No that's not going to bring fulfillment. The only thing that's going to bring fulfillment is a relationship with him. Walking in obedience to him. That's the reason for my existence. He's the inheritor of all things. The second coming of Jesus Christ is Christ is going to subdue all things underneath his feet. He's going to rule and reign. Everything is created for him. He's the inheritor and the inheritor of all things. In Ephesians 1 verse 18, it says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Believers are his inheritance. That's the hope of his calling. That's what he looks forward to. Through whom also he made the worlds. So first, Christ is the inheritor. Second, he's the creator. He's the creator of all things. It says, through him, the worlds were made. The word worlds is also translated ages. Through him also he made the ages. He created the world and he also created time. He created the different aspects of time and the things that we see taking place in human history. God ultimately is in charge, and he knew that we would be in this age of technology. He's the creator in overall things, and he he knew that the car would come upon the scene. He knew that people would think of using a horse in this way or designing a ship to be able to go across the ocean. He's the creator of the world and also the creator of the ages. In John 1, describing Jesus, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. We need to not dis- diminish anything from Christ. We need to understand that he's God. We need to understand that he's the creator of the universe. Is he God in human flesh? Absolutely. Is he our friend? Absolutely. But Jesus is not just some hangout buddy, Jesus is the God, he's the creator of the universe. So we don't want to take anything away from how personal he is, but also how powerful he is. It's been a beautiful couple of weeks here. I've enjoyed that we've been getting some, some moisture today. Had a lot to offer us even in, in the weather And this afternoon. And Pike's Peak was beautiful. To think God created Pike's Peak. Jesus spoke into existence Pike's Peak. He spoke into existence all of the galaxies. We're learning more about the galaxies The Milky Way is just one small galaxy. As our telescopes grow, we're able to see more and more galaxies, and it's endless. We we can't see to the end of space. There's a quote about the galaxies in the Milky Way, and it's expressed this way. We know that our galaxy is only one of some 100,000 million that can be seen using modern telescopes, each galaxy itself containing some hundred thousand million stars. So we know of millions of galaxies that we can see from telescopes, but that's not the end of it. And then inside of each galaxy is millions of stars. It's beautiful to get out on the mountains when there's no moon and look up at all the stars of just what you can see with your eye, let alone from a telescope. And God created all of this. God spoke all of this into existence. Jesus is the creator. He's the inheritor, but he's also the creator. And verse 3, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, speaking of Christ, the Christ is the brightness of the Father's glory and in the express image of his person. To speak of the brightness of his glory is his radiance, not his reflection. So, Jesus isn't the reflection of the Father. He radiates. Jesus is God and He radiates glory. If you want to behold the glory of God, behold Jesus Christ. If you want to behold the glory of the Father, behold Jesus Christ. We're transformed as we behold the glory of Jesus Christ. I think we get the Christian life just backwards so many times. We want behavior modification, we don't want to be jerks anymore. We're sick of being jerks. We're sick of sinning against others. We want to be better people. We want people to think of us as good dads and good moms and our our kids to think of us as good, good parents. So we're going to change ourselves to be more Christ-like. Good luck with that, right? That's not the Christian life. What's the Christian life? Beholding Jesus, understanding who he is, abiding with him, trusting in his grace, his free gift of salvation. Have you ever noticed times in your relationship with the Lord where you're not necessarily trying to get better? You're simply amazed at how wonderful Christ is. And you're spending time with Him. And over time, you realize there's some change that's happened in my life that Christ has done from beholding His glory. He's the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. This is the exact representation. You think of a coin and you put it on clay. And as it's imprinted in the clay, it's the exact representation. The idea for us is almost like a photocopy. You, you make a photocopy. Nobody makes a photocopy anymore. Now, I remember in high school, like sneaking into the office and the whole basketball team photocopying their face, right? It, it really doesn't exist too much anymore. But, you know, a, a good copy is the exact representation. And so Jesus is the express image of, of the Father, to the point where Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So here we have God is the communicator, okay? And he is communicated in creation, he's communicated through the prophets, but finally he sends his son to be the ultimate expression of his message. What would we know of God without Christ coming in human flesh? Extremely powerful, powerful, from creation, extremely holy from the prophets, but not very personable, right? But since God has come in human flesh, we have a personal Savior that has died for us. In John 1 verse 14 it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was all God and all man. He knows what it is to be human. That's one of the themes of the book of Hebrews is we have a faithful and merciful high priest that can sympathize with our weakness. Goes far beyond what the law could ever do. So Christ is the communicator. We oftentimes have an easier time embracing Jesus, but a more difficult time embracing our Heavenly Father. And I think a lot of times we tend to see our Heavenly Father through the lens of our Earthly Father. But I've got to tell you that your Heavenly Father is not your Earthly Father. There's a big difference there, isn't there? And so don't take your experience from your Earthly Father and put it on to your Heavenly Father. Look at Jesus and realize that Jesus is the express image of the Father. If you love Jesus, then you love the Father. If you appreciate who Christ is, you appreciate who the Father is. Jesus brought us into that Father relationship, where he teaches us to pray, where we begin our prayers, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. After he rose from the dead, we read it this weekend with Mary Magdalene, he said, My Father and your Father, my God and your God, because of my death and resurrection, you've come into a Father relationship. Romans 8 tells us to address God as Abba, Father, which literally means Daddy. Are you comfortable with doing that? Do you understand that that's who your your father is? If not, I would encourage you to grow in that. We all have room to, to grow in that. So I hope you feel loved tonight that God has done all of this work to communicate with you and to communicate with me through creation, through the prophets, but then ultimately his son. As we look at God's commitment to communicate, it should really inspire us to want to communicate with one another. Right? God is the ultimate communicator. So in every aspect of life, sometimes we let ourselves off the hook with, with communication. Well, I'm an introvert. I don't really like to communicate. I like to stay to myself. It's hard to build a case for that when God so freely has communicated to us. He loves us, so he communicates. So if you love your spouse, you're going to communicate with them. And the, the object of communication is not just speaking. Okay, I spoke, so I communicated. What's the goal of communication? Did that person understand? Did I understand them? It involves listening. It involves being creative, you know, to really take the time. Well, i how am I going to get through and be able to effectively have communication uh, with my spouse? Maybe communication's gone dead with with your spouse. Listen to this. God is the ultimate communicator. He's done all of this work to communicate, put some effort into communication, ask God for wisdom with our children to say, I'm going to endeavor to communicate with them, to understand them, but also then to pass on things that are are valuable to them. In the workplace, no fun to communicate in the workplace, right? I just do my job. I don't communicate. Leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. No, God's about communication. So work on communication. Neighbors, garage door society. Pull in, shut the garage door. I don't want to talk to you. Don't talk to me. That's communication. We got communication, right? God's saying, no, communicate. Communicate. Let them know that they're created by God. Let them know that they're they're loved by God. God's the ultimate communicator. And as we enjoy his communication, it should stir us on to communicate to others. And upholding all things by the word of his power, he's the sustainer. He's the sustainer. Not only did he create everything, but he's holding it all together. Colossians 1, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things exist. Consist. He's actively holding all things together. He holds the universe together. He's holding your very being together. Take comfort in that. Jesus is the sustainer. When he had by himself purged our sins, he's the Savior by himself. He did it himself. He purged us from our sins. Do you see why it's so important to have this large, magnificent view of Christ? To see him as the Creator? To see him in his holiness, but now to see him in his humanity, where he's crucified for our sin, and he cleansed us. The word "purged" it means cleansed. God cleansed us from our sins. If you trust Christ as your Savior, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been removed from you. You're declared righteous by God. What a wonderful Savior we have. Sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. He's the ruler. He's the sustainer, he's the savior, but he's also the ruler. The idea of him sitting down next to the father shows that the work is completed. It's finished. Christ is at that position of rest and he's ruling and reigning. In the New Testament, we only see Christ standing from the throne when Stephen was martyred and it appears that Jesus is welcoming Stephen into the throne room, into the, the, the presence of God. Christ as the ruler is not stressed about what's going on in our lives. We're stressed. We talk to him like he's never seen it before. But he's not stressed. He's seated upon the throne. The work is finished. The work is completed. And he rules and reigns from his throne. Having become so much better. There it is. Christ greater than. He's so much better than the angels. As he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. We don't have the details, what's going on in this group of Hebrew believers, of why they were so attracted to angels. But the author of the book of Hebrews has to lay the foundation of why they need to be looking to Christ instead of looking to angels. Isn't there still a really big fascination about angels? Maybe at times at your life, maybe even this evening, or maybe you know people that they get fixed in upon angels. But here it says that Christ is much better than the angels, and we're going to see why in the next few verses. So let's take a moment, let's pause for just a second, and what does the Bible say about angels? They're amazing creatures in the scriptures. Over a hundred times they're mentioned in the Old Testament, and a hundred and sixty times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament. Many times when an angel would encounter someone in Scripture, it was such an experience that they'd have to say, fear not. Okay, it's okay, I'm not going to kill you today. I could kill you, but I'm not going to kill you today. So they're these amazing creatures. In Isaiah 6, and also in the first few chapters of Ezekiel, we see some angels described and it's awe-inspiring. In Revelation 5 verse 11, it says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Describing the angels around the throne room of God, it's countless. Do you picture the throne room of God that way? Elisha, his servant, was fearful, and God asked, Elisha asked God if he would open his eyes to see into the angelic realm, To show him that greater were those that were with Elijah than those who were against them. Their appearance, the human-like features, sometimes shine with glorious light. The fabulously winged creatures, their function. Why do angels exist? To continually worship and praise God, to bring God's message. A lot of times angels were commissioned to bring the message of God, to minister, to protect and encourage believers Sometimes agents of God's judgment. In the Old Testament, we see one angel killing an army of 185,000 Assyrians. No difficulty, no, no problem at all. Angels gone bad. Sounds like a new Netflix series. We do know of angels gone bad, Jude 6, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. He's reserved and everlasting chains, utter darkness for the judgment of the great day. And that was Jude chapter, verse 6, Jude verse 6. And then Isaiah 14, verse 12 says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? So Satan and his demons are fallen angels. Second Corinthians 11, verse 14, I think this shows us a lot of the temptation of focusing on angels, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into the angel of light. Satan would love for us to be focused on angels instead of Jesus. Why? Because Satan comes as an angel of light. That's how he deceives people. That's how he he tricks people. You think of a lot of the activity in Wiccan and some of the cult uh, behavior and It's oftentimes drawing people in with so-called light, but then it's leading away from Christ into a very dark realm. So it's easy to get focused on angels, but it's so important for us to see angels for what they are and to put our focus upon Christ. So this is the reasons why that Jesus is greater than the angels. First, it's a superior relationship. For to which of the angels did he ever say, And remember, this is lesson by comparison. You know, how do you know a good burger? Because you experience a bad burger. How do you know a good cup of coffee? Because you experience a bad cup of coffee. So how do you know about the supremacy of Christ? Because angels are pretty awesome, but they're nothing in comparison to Jesus Christ. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you're my son, today I've begotten you? This is Psalms 2 verse 7. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Do the angels ever have this relationship with the father? Are they ever considered to be a son? No, but Jesus is God's son, the the father's son. He's God, and he's also God's son, the only begotten. And you shall be my son. It's very special, the relationship between a parent and a child. We see this tremendous fellowship inside of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Son enjoy this this great relationship. And we get to view into that when we see the supremacy of Christ. It's what the Father wanted us to know about the Son. When the Father speaks audibly about the Son in the Gospels, what does he say? What does he declare? This is my son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. World, I want you to know he's loved. He's beloved. And I'm well pleased in him. So if you're a tendency to elevate angels above Jesus Christ, very quickly that argument is diminished because none of the angels are the son to the father. Superior honor in verse 6 But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire? So the angels exist to worship Jesus. All of the angels of God worship him. And that's never declared to any of the angels. So the angels don't have the honor that Jesus Christ has. The description of the angels, the angels are the ones that are worshiping Jesus. The job of the angels, who makes his angels spirits. So the angels are created. Jesus is not created. He's God. He's always been in existence. But angels are created. And the job of angels, and he ministers a flame of fire. Or He's a servant of a flame of fire, speaking of the judgment that angels bring. Have you ever taken the time to study cult groups, you know, false religions? A lot of times they claim to be Christian. Many of them have a story of an angel bringing to them a message of God that just happens to be contradictory to the Bible. And so, but they fall for it because an angel brought them the message to the point where when Paul's writing to the Galatian church in chapter one, he says, even if an angel of light or anybody else preaches another gospel to you, let him be accursed, right? And so a lot of these false religions have developed because of the way that they view angels. Jesus has a superior position over the angels. And so we're learning so much about Christ as he's being compared to the angels. But to the son, he says, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So speaking of Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God's throne's eternal. We see so many people clamoring for power and position, don't we? But Christ's throne is permanent. It's forever. It's never changed. We think of time past. We think of what's going to yet be in the future and the throne of God is established. We get concerned about our culture. We get concerned for our kids that are growing up in this culture. But one thing we know for sure is God's throne is not going to be changed by this culture. Amen? That if they understand who Jesus is and depend upon his faithfulness and go to his throne, God's throne is for sure. So what is God doing upon his throne? We know ultimately it's leading up to the second coming of Jesus, and ultimately, it's to cause people to know who Jesus is. That's God's mission. That's what he's about. He's not always about our personal security. He never favors one particular nation. He's always about people knowing who he is, and then ultimately leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. What kind of leader is, is Christ? The scepter speaks of his authority. It's carried by rulers you think of ancient kings with their scepters, and his scepter, or his staff, is one of righteousness. That's the scepter of his kingdom. That's what makes good leaders today, is when they're, they're righteous, when they have character, and they're trustworthy, and they're pure. So Jesus, if he was all-powerful, but not all-pure, wouldn't be someone that we can trust. But he leads in righteousness. His judgments are good, and they're true. The angels don't have this position. This is a distinct position that is given to Christ. They're around the throne, but Christ is on the throne. We get a little window in the midst of this discussion about Christ's happiness. Yes, Christ's joy. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Speaking of Jesus, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than all of your companions. Quoting Psalms 45, verse 6 and 7. Let's think about this. What is this declaring about Jesus? That the Father anointed him with an oil of gladness more than anybody else, more than all of his friends, all of his companions. Why? Why did he have this oil of gladness? Because he loved righteousness. He loved holiness. He loved what was good and right. And he hated wickedness. And out of that came this tremendous amount of joy. So how do you picture Jesus in his earthly life? Do you you, you picture him like he just had a bunch of sour lemonade? And he he walked around grumpy and upset and distraught and "I'm I'm gonna get him. No. He walked through life with the oil of gladness. There wasn't anybody as happy as Jesus. There wasn't anybody that had as much joy as Jesus. What was the source of his joy it was his holiness. Holiness leads to joy. Wholeness leads to happiness. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. I don't think that gets out about the Christian life very much as well. Sometimes as believers, we're a real miserable company, aren't we? I praise the Lord. It's all going to burn. <laughs> Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you too. I think that we should be enjoying this life to the fullest. Why? Because we know our Father created it. If we're up on a hiking trail, we should be enjoying it more than anybody else because I don't believe that the tree is my God. I believe that God created the tree so I can enjoy God for his creation instead of thinking the tree is going to save me. Isn't that depressing to think that the tree is going to save you? Right? If we're fortunate enough to go skiing or snowboarding, We should be loving it because God has created it. As we're going through the doldrums of life and the difficulties of a Monday, to know God is with me. So I have an oil of gladness that has been given to me. But the source of it for Jesus and the source of it for us as well is to love righteousness and to hate wickedness. Have you ever been in a place where you were regretful for holiness in your life, where you chose to walk in holiness. No, it's wholeness. It leads to life. It's the most organic living. It's the purest form of living, and it blesses you. Man, young people, you need to know this because this is what the world says. Oh, you're missing out. Just go ahead and sleep around. Why would you save sex for marriage? You go, okay, that, that must be it. No, that, that destroys your life. Adopting God's standard and truth about sexuality is gonna lead to life. Married folks, adults, you're at this place and you're saying, you know, the world says be unfaithful. It doesn't matter who you sleep with. You just gotta be happy. Well, if you go around sleeping with a bunch of people and being unfaithful to your spouse, it's not gonna lead to happiness. I can guarantee that. As pastors, we get to sit down with a lot of people, and when people are caught in the midst of adultery, I can tell you they're not happy. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the world. What's going to lead to joy, the oil of gladness? Being faithful to the Lord, because Jesus is supreme. Abide in him and be faithful to your spouse. You know, have you ever sat through a movie, and at the end of your movie, you're like, I just feel like I got puked on, you know? The, the screen vomited on my soul right? Did it result in the oil of gladness? No. Will God forgive us? Thankfully, yes. But want more joy in your life? Turn it off, you know? I don't need this. This is garbage. This is, this is totally destroying my joy in the Lord. So Christ had the oil of gladness because he hated lawlessness and he loved righteousness. You'll never regret holiness in your life. In verse 10, It's a superior existence. Christ has a superior existence over the angels. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Descriptive. The angels didn't create the foundations of of the earth. The angels didn't create the heavens, but Jesus did. The heavens are the work of his hands. You ever looked up at the clouds and gone, wow, Jesus, you're a tremendous artist. What a great painting that you've, you've just put right in front of my eyes. The heavens are the work of his hands. The stars, the galaxies, the planets, it's a work of his hands. Now speaking of creation, they will perish, but you remain. And they will grow old like a garment. Creation is not eternal, but Christ is. Scientists tell us that the sun is losing mass every hour. Eventually, the sun will actually burn up. Scientists believe it has a long lifespan, but it's wearing out. All of creation groans. Romans 8, says, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Creation's longing for the redemption of mankind. It's groaning, waiting for redemption. God says here, it'll grow old like a garment. That's what creation is doing. I wonder if we could see creation from Adam and Eve's perspective before the fall, before it has grown old like, like a garment. we could see, wow, creation really has aged. Again, very depressing if you work worship creation, you know? Global warming's going in the wrong direction because it is all going to burn, right? Doesn't mean that we are not good stewards of it. Doesn't mean that we don't appreciate it. But by all means, don't worship it. Why would people worship creation instead of Christ? Because there's not a lot of accountability with a tree. There's not a lot of accountability with a whale. The salmon in the Northwest off the Pacific coast, where they're wonderful, but they're never going to call you on your junk, right? You're never going to have to be accountable to creation, but you're going to have to be accountable to Christ. Christ is greater than the angels. The angels didn't create these things. God did. Christ, compared to creation, he's eternal, where creation is temporal. Verse 12, like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. Don't you love that? Creation's going to be folded up. Boom, it's done. But God is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same for Abraham. Isaac and Jacob for your grandparents, your great-grandparents. He'll be the same for future generations. What a faithful God. His years will not fail. Verse 13, But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Angels don't rule. They serve. They don't rule. But Christ is the ruler. And this is the promise that is given to Christ by the fathers verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So we get a job description of angels. They're ministering spirits sent to minister to those who are inheriting salvation. That's believers. We're inheriting salvation. So the job of angels is to minister to believers. Sometimes in supernatural protection. Sometimes in bringing us the message of God. Sometimes in bringing encouragement. So that's pretty neat to think about that God has given angels to protect us and minister to us. But that's nothing compared to who Jesus Christ is. Amen? So like angels are down here. It's like, wow, that's pretty neat. Praise the Lord. And Christ is way up here. Wow. You're my Savior. You're God. You're you're the communicator. The express image of God of the Father. So what do we see about Christ and Christ being superior in this chapter? First, he's the inheritor of all things. He is the creator, the galaxies. He's the communicator, the radiator, the express image of the Father. He's the sustainer. Thankfully, he's holding us and all things together. He's our Savior. He purges us from our sins. He's the ruler He's, he's sitting at the right hand, ever living to make intercession for us. And then we see how much greater he is than the angels. The angels aren't the creator. Jesus is the creator, and the angels exist to worship Jesus Christ. Just out of curiosity, have you heard of or read Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis? If you've read it or heard of it, Okay. So if you've never read it or you've never heard of it, C.S. Lewis, who's passed away, he writes this fictitious story, and it's important to know it's fictitious. It's, It's an allegory. It's an illustration. We have Jesus depicted as a lion. And one of the main characters, her name is Lucy. And there's this conversation that Lucy has with Aslan, who's the lion. And Lucy comes to Aslan and says, You have grown. And then Aslan responds and says, Lucy, it's because you've grown. Each year that you grow older, I become bigger. Aslan says to Lucy, each year you get older, I grow bigger. And I hope that that's my understanding of Jesus. Jesus hasn't changed, but hopefully, in my perspective, he's more awesome, he's more magnificent, he's more beautiful, he's more awe-inspiring, And that's what the Christian life is. The more that we grow, the more we're coming to understand how great Jesus is. What's eternity going to be? Eternity is going to be experiencing and exploring the greatness of who God is. There's going to be more wonders to discover throughout all of eternity. So let's try to make this practical a little bit in our lives. I'm currently reading a book called Gospel Fluency and the idea is we're fluent in particular languages and to be fluent in the gospel and we would first think that this would mean in taking the gospel to people that don't know Christ as their Savior a lost and dying world and that's true and that's what we're focusing on in our our weekend messages but one of the things that he focuses in this book is who Jesus is in the gospel That it just affects every part of our lives to where we can't help but talk about Jesus with one another, even to other believers. And the gospel is what we're we're trusting in. And that we get to speak the gospel to another brother or sister in Christ. Remember, Jesus loves you. Remember, it's not about your perfection or your performance. It's about his sacrifice. Isn't he a wonderful savior? Isn't it awesome how much that Jesus is always with us, and he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And can't we be content because Christ is the source of our, our contentment? And then we start to go, you know, how much do I really spend worshiping Christ? How much do I spend thinking about who he is, trusting in him, and how much of my Christian life has become about my own performance? You know, I feel good about my relationship with the Lord because I did a good job today. I read my Bible today. I didn't yell today. You know, I didn't say any bad words today. You know, it's performance-based. I I gave away this much money, or I finally decided to to, to serve others. And not that those things are are not important, but if they don't flow out of a relationship with Christ and trust in the gospel, haven't we simply become legalistic Pharisees? Where it's this competition of who can outperform somebody else? And to be able to return and dig deep into the supremacy of Christ. I mean, if, if you take the time, like just tonight before you go to bed, reread Hebrews chapter 1 and go various times in various ways, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days is spoken by his son. That he's the creator. He's the inheritor of all things. And, and begin to just make much, much of Christ. Because who we need is Christ. And Christ is the greatest gift to us. So let's pray this in and pray that God would take us deeper in Christ. Jesus, we thank you for how magnificent you are. We thank you for the gospel. That you died for our sins. You rose again. You make us clean. It's your blood that you love us. And Jesus, we would be so grateful to be able to see you in a greater light. We pray that that would take place as we study Hebrews together, but also as we live our days, as we go from Monday to Monday and Wednesday to Wednesday. We never want to get to a place where we feel like we have figured you out. We look forward to seeing you in your glory, seeing you in your greatness. Thank you that you're so personal, but yet you're so powerful. So as we take communion, would you meet us afresh in communion? In Jesus' name, amen.